In this episode, we're going to tackle insurance. Woo! Stick with us. We promise it will not be boring. How could protecting our greatest asset, and I mean ourselves, not our house, be boring? Well, let's face it. When you become a homeowner, this becomes even more important. Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're talking about personal insurance. Whether you have a mortgage or not, how can you protect your income and your family in the event that something unexpected happens to you? But before we get into that, brief segue, uh, what's your special house today, Megan? I think we've seen this one before. But If you're watching this, this is one of my favourites. It's like sleeping in an aquarium, but you're on the outside and it's, you know, you're on the inside, it's on the outside. It's gorgeous. Love it. I could be underwater with fish and turtles and rays all day if I could. <laughs> so because, Megan, fairly recently discovered scuba diving, um, you what? know, I guess this is just you living in your recreational. <laughs> <laughs> Breathe without the equipment. The it, is quite, and, yeah. it is quite lovely. There's a bed and then there's this whopping great big window. with Right out of the coral. Yeah. Fish. Love nice. it. Nice. Yeah, Craig, I, you ever done any diving? No, I, I, I've never done it. I'm actually, I'm terrified of getting. Un- I've got bad ears. It sounds really, it's like a really lame die. ailment. Yeah. You can't equalise. <laughs> I've got bad ears. <laughs> so that's a great introduction to our guest this week, Craig, with the bad ears. Craig Bigelow from Via Financial. He is an insurance specialist who really knows everything there is to know, right, about personal insurance, income protection. Um, what else, Craig? What else do you know about? Oh, I don't know lots of lots of things about <laughs> others, but I, I guess work-wise, um, yeah, the the insurance has been a passion for me for a long time. Um, so I think it's coming up to nineteen years in financial in pantering, um, but uh, the insurance has definitely been something I've specialised in for the last sort of fifteen of those. And so yeah, the life insurance, the TPD, or your total and permanent disability, your trauma and income protection are the four that we deal with the most. So let's, let's just sort of break that down because that's really important. What we're talking about here is insurance around a person rather than, you know, your building insurance, which actually insures you against certain events that might happen to the building 
or uh, lenders' mortgage insurance, which, of course, uh, you know, if you've listened to any of our podcasts or done the course, you know that lenders' mortgage insurance does not insure you in any way, shape or form. It actually insures the bank that's lending you the money. Anyway, I digress, but it's one of the worst insurance I think you've got to pay for for someone else. Sucks, so, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. Just, anyway, can you please tell us why having personal insurance, and we'll go into each of those areas, why is it important for somebody whether they're a property owner or they're not a property owner, because you don't have to have property to actually need this kind of insurance or for it to actually have great value to you. Yeah, I think it, it comes down, each person's going to be different and it's mainly the situation you find yourself in. And what I typically call the the major pivot point is prior to kids and having a family, I think you can be quite selfish with your insurance. And post kids, I think you need to change to be selfless. And what I mean by that is, before kids, it's all about you. So if you have gone and bought a property or if you haven't bought a property yet and you're looking to do so or you just rely on your income personally to live, then you need to be selfish about making sure that you've got a way of continuing that income if you cannot work anymore. So that's the first one. So for me, there's very few people that I sit down with and if they can't go to work and get their regular payment, they have enough money to do whatever they want to do because let's face it, if that was all of us, There'd be very few people, unlike you too and I, that have fallen into insurance and property and love it so much that irrespective of how much money we had, we'd continue to work. But um, so unless you're in that fortunate position, then there's a gap that would be there should you not be able to earn that money. So that's the first one, being selfish. And then post-kids, I think being selfless, it's what's the sort of scenario you'd like to leave, leave for your family if something were to go wrong? So if you're not mm. around anymore from a financial perspective, what impact would that have on the life of your loved ones? And I think that's probably the big thing to start thinking about in that scenario. Such a great way of putting it. Um, Veronica, sorry, we, we do this a lot. We, we both have a thought <laughs> at the same time. We're ah, just going to share this stuff with everybody. But uh, I, I guess what I was thinking is you don't just have to have a property to do that. Could, could you, you might have afterpay debts. You might have credit card debts or personal loans. Um, so this stuff is actually quite important because it's in the worst case scenario, if you passed away, it's how's that, how's that going to be taken care of? Who's going to actually pay it out? And that's what insurance is about, isn't it? It's kind of about preparing for the worst case scenario so you don't leave that burden with someone else. Yeah, and I think in property terms, they talk about the bank of mum and dad and you guys would have stats on how much help most people get getting into their home, which is a, you know, it's a, a natural thing and very common. The ninth but- biggest lender in Australia at the moment. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that, if, if we are getting so much help from our parents to get into a property, the bank of mum and dad is a one-off payment to get into that house and then hopefully you can get on your way and you never need to go back to that same bank again. But insurance removes the bank of mum and dad to give that as an option to be the insurance company that they could step in and help you should you need it because, it's again, it's, it's pretty rare that we don't all come from families like the Hems or something like that that could pay out forever, <laughs> um, but some would. But, again, it's sort of removing that responsibility that you might place on other people to help you should anything go wrong. Let's talk about insurance, okay, the cost of insurance. First. There's so many aspects to this, right? <laughs> I, I know. As a first-home buyer, you know, I remember being one, you don't think like you've got any extra money. You know, so you sort of, you buy your property, you scrimp and save, you you know, in Sydney, it's like 12 years earnings to to save a deposit. Mm. Melbourne is like nine years or something ridiculous. Um, 
you scrimp and save, you get your deposit, even if with or without the bank of mum and dad, you buy the property, you know, you're lucky to have a buffer, let alone money to then insure and, and protect, because that's effectively what we're talking about here. And we're talking about protection. And so I guess how can people look at sort of starting the insurance process or that protection process? Let's not call it insurance. Let's yeah. call it starting the protection process. Once you commit yourself to a mortgage, um, you then have a responsibility, you know, and then if you've got kids and you've got a partner and all that sort of stuff, you, you even if you've just the two of you, if you've bought with a partner and there's no kids, if you can't work, and I don't mean losing your job, we're talking about through, yeah. you know, misadventure or whatever. Um, if you have an injury or illness or whatever and you can't work, that burden goes 100% onto your partner. Can they withstand that, you know? Yeah. So, so. I guess what is a way that is really constructive for first time buyers to look at how to afford to insure their income? I think firstly it's to prioritise what's what would hurt the most. And I mean, most people have heard of Scott Pape and the Barefoot Investor. I think he says it really well. He's, he talks about insuring the things that will kill you financially. Um, and so if you looked at it from that perspective, you're going to need to weigh up a few things. Some you don't have a choice on. So you talked about the lender's mortgage insurance. You can't buy the house if you don't have that. So there's some that you cannot achieve your goal without going down that path. But then there's others such as your car insurance, your health insurance, your boat insurance, your pet insurance, um, you know, whatever it might be, then income protection, those sorts of things. Okay, and looking at it at a perspective, if I didn't have my car, can I still get to work? The answer to that is probably yes, right? Mm, so do I need mm. to go the comprehensive versus the compulsory third party? Um, the health insurance, do I need all the extras? Do I need that or do I need to? What would make me in a position that I couldn't recover from? So on that list, I think some of them are easier to replace than others. Um, and I think it's difficult for most people to find that way of getting that regular income other than having an insurance policy, you're having really wealthy parents or that investment income that's quite substantial. So on, and I know I'm probably biased and I always say it, I'm, I'm a little bit like going to an orthodontist. You're definitely going to walk out with braces. So <laughs> take, it, take, take it a little, I am definitely biased, but I think it's coming from that experience of seeing the benefits that it does do for those people that do need it. And look, it's a strange product. It's one that you buy hoping you never need. Um, yeah. So it's you a, need it's it so much when you need it. Correct. And, mm. and the hard part is once you do need it, it's not like you can pick up the phone and get it then. Once something's happened to you that would lead to a claimable event, it's pretty unlikely that you'd be able to get the insurance ever again. Mm. So um, mm. to answer the question though, Veronica, if cash flow is the issue, once we've decided what's important, there are ways to do it through your superannuation that would minimise that impact on cash flow. And whilst not a, it's not amazing as a strategy because it does, I mean, it's all your money, mm -hmm. um, but it does allow you to have the cover that you need now paid for from money that you can't touch for a long period of time and potentially give you the opportunity to catch that up because things change. You know, as the kids get older, you've now bought the house You've saved significantly. A few pay rises down the track, you can catch that money up again too. So not only can you get the protection you need, you can fund it from a way that doesn't hurt your cash flow. I think that when I first came across you, uh, Craig, was when we interviewed you on The Elephant in the Room. It's probably back in 2018 now, I think. God, so many years ago. You don't look any older. Um, <laughs> and, okay. and I was amazed that you sort of talked to, and, and me, and let's face it, I've, I've you know, a few decades under my belt in terms of most uh, compared to most property, uh, first home buyer, first home buyers, 
Oh, I can't even talk. But what you were saying is it's sort of my, I don't have to over-insure myself. And I think that's a really interesting concept too, and it's getting ahead of ourselves here. But can we just, before we sort of get into, I guess, some case studies and some examples of really of how it works, can you just quickly run through what is income protection? What's the difference between it, between it and, say, trauma, TPD, life insurance? Yeah. So I, I think starting with life insurance, it's the easiest one to think about. It, life insurance is a, a nice way of saying get paid if you're dead. So it's, it's kind of death insurance. And you talk about the ultimately selfless cover, you get absolutely no benefits no benefit. from it yourself. Mm. So um, it's, it's for other people. Um, normally that's you'll find attached to your life insurance, particularly if you're looking at your superannuation statements, you'll find something called TPD and finance. We love an acronym. Um, it stands for total and permanent disability cover. And the best way to think about this is that you have to be alive but dead, essentially. And what needs to happen is two doctors need to independently tell you that you'll never work ever again. And it's a really... It's actually quite difficult, and particularly if you are on that younger, you're further away from that retirement age, it's very difficult for a doctor to say that you'll never, ever work again. Mm. And that's where the income protection is a little bit different. You only need to be unable to work now. So the doctor will still say the same thing. Craig, Veronica, Megan, you can't work at the moment. Mm. Um, and as long as you satisfy the conditions of your policy, being the time frame that you've got as a waiting period, you'll start to then get paid from the insurance company. And the last one on the list being the trauma cover, this is a bit of a, a way of covering any of those unexpected expenses from a series of conditions that are pretty long. There's about 40 of them. I won't bore you and rattle them all off, but major three, heart attack, cancer and stroke. And if you got diagnosed with one of those major nasties, the idea of the policy is to give you some money to do whatever it takes to get better. Now, the reason that that happens is that whether you've gone down the property journey and you've got wealth tied up in your property, we could be quite rich from an asset perspective. Mm. But most of my people that I, I speak to, even if they've got lots of money tied up in their house, tied up in investment properties, lots of money in their super, if you need to put your hands on quick cash, you're probably going to have to sell something. So instead of having to be forced to sell something, you'd be pretty happy if you had to sell something right now in any of the capital cities, you probably made good money. But at other times, it might not be the right time to sell. And this mm. gives you an amount of money to not have to be forced to do anything you don't need to. You talk about waiting periods, and I think that's a really relevant point because uh, most policies will have waiting periods that might be three, four, six months and, yep. and you pay less premium the longer your waiting period is. So there's all sorts of things, and this is why it's so important to have a really good financial advisor and an insurance expert. But, um, you know, most people really only have the ability to survive. Should they lose their job, they really only have enough cash buffer for two to three months. Now, that's that's yep. really hard to, to sort of fathom. And, and we're talking, you know, you said the major three, cancer, um, heart attack and stroke, but there's also other things like loss of limb or yep. um, a disability that um, means you, you can no longer walk and you're, and you're bound into a wheelchair. So there's, there's a lot of things that can happen in day-to-day -day life that aren't necessarily health related, but they're actually accident related that you mm. can't anticipate. You can't, you can't, you know, you can't wrap yourself up in cotton wool. Um, and these things can actually happen. And if, if you only got a cash allowance or living allowance of two or three months, then that's where this kind of things becomes so, so vitally important because one, you've got to get back on your feet, you know, figuratively speaking, in that 
you know, your, your whole life changes. You've probably got different costs. Yeah. You might have to adjust your house. There might have to be different, um, you know, turn into a fully accessible property. There's a whole lot of things before you even start thinking, wow, I've still got to pay the rent or the mortgage mm. or the car payments or I need to change the car because now I, I need to get a wheelchair in and out. So there's, these sorts of things may not develop over time. They can actually just happen if you step out onto the street and, 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 and an errant car hits you. So th th that kind of accident, I think, is really important for people to not think that this is the type of thing you only need when you're older because health issues might come into it. But actually, the more active that you are and the more adventurous you are, it may be more important even as a younger person. Yeah, I think the thing too, I mean, the one of the leading causes or causes of stress is finance, right? We, yeah. It's one of the leading causes of divorce. Um, I'm sure we've all had fights over money with our significant others. <laughs> um, it's not uncommon. It's always that a comes spender up. and a saver in every relationship. It, well, at least, at least that works. You just don't want two spenders. So. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> um, but I think the thing with that is that if finances are, we all know how stressful they can be, and that's when we both are working, right? And so you add something else into the mix, like you're mentioning, Megan, that was unexpected. Um, mm. And whatever that sudden. might be, there's it could be sudden. It mm. could be, you know, you're not going to likely then not going to be able to be on that same career trajectory, mm. you know, the same opportunities might not present themselves. And the extra pressure and stress that that can put on is, is quite substantial. Mm. Um, and I think this is one of those things, again, it's it's hard. Because, again, like I said, I, I love this stuff and I'm passionate about it and that sort of thing, but it's more because of the thing that once it gets to the point, gone are the days of the old person in a suit trying to sell you something you don't want. The, the modern way of doing it, honestly, the modern way of doing it is to try and give you as much information, be as relevant as possible to you. And if things don't connect at the time, that's perfectly fine. Like, don't do anything you don't feel that you don't want to do, but at least consider it, at least talk to someone that is more on your level, I guess, and can understand and try and articulate why it's important to you as opposed to why it was important to your parents and haven't mm. sold down, if that makes sense. So mm, yeah. I think that's probably the thing that I've tried to do as much as I can is make it relevant to you that I'm talking to as opposed to saying that every 42-year-old with <laughs> this needs this. You know what I mean? It's mm, it's more mm. personalised than that. And I'm quite happy to tell you if you don't need it. <laughs> you know, like as you mentioned, Veronica, if you've got too much cover, I'm very happy to mention why I believe that to be the case as well. I think... Um you know, insurance, like you say, it's sort of seen as being one of those things you don't really want to talk about. It'd be a little bit like wills, you know, yeah. oh, I don't want to get a will, oh, God, you know, because there's talking about death and, oh, it's a bit morbid and uh, um, yet, you know, for the people left behind or the people incapacitated, you know, that that's when you go, oh, thank God I don't have to worry about that. Apart from yeah, the financial yeah. uh, ease of that financial burden, it's just the very fact that that person doesn't have to organise it or try to work around it. Now, Couple of things, Which is you know, that when selfless you... side, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that Craig mentioned yeah. right at the start, and I think that's so such a valuable way of looking at it because that's exactly Veronica. It is the selfless side of it. It is that the people who are around you and caring for if you, for, for you when you're still alive, or if you've passed, they haven't got to think about it. It's actually covered, so it's incredibly selfless when you look at it yeah. from that perspective. Now, 
one of the things first home buyers have to, and we talked about it earlier, LMI, which is lenders mortgage insurance. Now, this is something that we, you know, we'd like to labor that um, oh, there was surveys, there's been surveys done that show that the majority of first home buyers have no idea what this is. Lenders mortgage insurance is insurance that protects the lender in the event that you default on the loan. So that means that the bank has insurance, not you, but you have to pay for it if you are borrowing over a certain proportion of the value of the property, right? So is there a way, Craig, that individual borrowers can actually protect themselves? Because the thing with income protection insurance, it doesn't protect you from redundancy. It doesn't protect you if you hate your job and you throw it in. Um, <laughs> you to take a holiday on the beach for a month or six. No. <laughs> um, That's not the insurance we're talking and about. And some people think lenders mortgage insurance actually protects them if they somehow can't pay yeah. their mortgage, but that's not true. So is there a type of insurance that actually protects the individual, the borrower in that, um, or, or am I asking you a question that's outside your remit? No, no. I mean, not specifically. It's probably the best way. I mean, some of the banks will try and sell you mortgage insurance as a separate policy when you buy the loan and tell you that it's um, that you have to do it. And you don't. I mean, it's not true. And if that's what that lender's requiring, I'm sure that there'd be other people that could tell you what yeah. the options are when it came to that. And that's a bit outside my remit. But when it comes to that, what they'll what they have is some basic policies that will cover your mortgage repayment alone. So, again, it kind of does protect you in some ways because you're not going to default on your loan, but it also protects as well in that sense because they're not having defaults on their, on their book as well. But if you've got that type of insurance, then you've covered your expense for your mortgage, but you haven't covered the expense of you. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't know what the stats are. And, again, there'd be other people, and it probably would depend where you live, but the percentage of income, or household income that would go to servicing debt. And I'd say it'd be 40 to 50% for most people, particularly first homeowners and maybe even higher, potentially depending where you're buying. So there's another 50% of income that you need, but half of your money is things that you actually spent on groceries, bills, mm. um, those sorts. Of, and that's without yeah. medical and anything like that. So yes, there are places that you can get that protection that looks after your expense for the mortgage. I just don't think that it's worth spending your money on those sorts of ones because it really only covers half of the job. And what you'll find is that these providers, if you did it properly, you won't spend any more <laughs> and <laughs> you'll have something that covers not only the mortgage but also that, that the bills and the living expenses and those sorts of things as well. So I think it's just understanding how and why they've broken down that way and then really looking at it from a perspective of, okay, that's half of the job and what's the rest of it that actually looks after me? Yeah. Yeah, and your other debts as well, Craig, because we're not just Spot talking on. about mortgages here. We're talking about yeah. personal loans. We're talking about credit cards. Credit cards, car loans. To have yep. to be paid out. Car yep. loans, afterpay. I mean, the rise and rise of afterpay, as a, a, a particularly for, for young people to use, you still have to pay those debts out. Spot they on. don't go yeah. away if you haven't got an income. So that, 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 those are the sorts of things that are covered more broadly than just um, mortgage insurance. Mortgage insurance? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, the, the loan, you've got loan protection cover. They've loan got, again, cover. they've got a whole range of different names for them. But essentially, I just think that it's worth finding out what it does and what whether that would actually, again, help and fix the problem. And if you're going to do half of the job and spend some money on this stuff, why don't look at the whole problem and see what it would cost to fix the entirety mm. of this? And I think this is where 
people get stuck as well, Veronica. You mentioned people don't really want to do this, right? You get to the point, you, you bought the house and it's like, I need what insurance and what insurance and what insurance? I've just paid what? so much. What <laughs> yeah. else am yeah. I going to pay for now? Yeah. And, it's, and, and a lot of the times it's just like, I just want to be done with it. You know mm. what I mean? Like you find something, you Google it quickly, you find three things, I've got contents, you, you know, you've done all this sort of stuff and you're like, it's done, I don't have to think about it. But I think... If you had someone that you felt comfortable talking to, if you knew where to look, um, at least you could educate yourself on that. And it might not be straight away. So get in the house, enjoy the house, <laughs> spend some time in there getting used to the new area and enjoying it. But set aside some time and it might be in your holidays one, and put aside half a day and, and just say, look, I'm going to tackle this at this point. I'm going to save some things to a folder and come back to it at a certain point in time because I think it's one of the things that's probably worth spending a bit of time on and mm. whether you want to invest the time and research yourself or you want to reach out and get someone to help you with that, that's the choice that you'd have. But I just think it's you're leaving a bit of a gap if you're not doing it service to give it some thought. Mm. There's such an interesting um, insight that you gave us there, Craig, about the fact that that potentially could be very inexpensive insurance that only covers one circumstance mm, or one aspect mm. um and if you don't go and consider um the the total problem like you say and and look at the total solution then you would never know that really that for not much more or potentially you could actually be covered in a whole better way and i think that that's i guess that's so much goes along with you don't know what you don't know and if you're in that that experience where maybe it's just been explained to you the first time ever that lenders mortgage insurance protects the bank not you and you're in that you're kidding me sort of state of mind and they go but we've got this insurance that will protect you and you think oh good job done but this this what this podcast is about is is helping people unveil you know the uh the stuff that you don't know the other thing that i think I wish I had known um, at a much younger age when I first took out income protection insurance in particular, and this is why I think I'd love for you to explain, and that is there's sort of two ways that it can be paid or calculated, whatever, Um, two different types, right? One gets more expensive as you get older and one is a bit more expensive when you're younger. Now, if I'd known there were two options back then, I know I would have taken the other option. Now, can you explain? And and, and I think you know why I say that. Yeah, I, I think, um, and it's interesting because it's probably, I'll say it with an asterisk as well. So um, there's there's what's known as stepped premiums, which are the most common that you'll find in the market. And if you think about it in a way that a stepped premium will start out cheaper as you're young and every year you have a birthday, not only does the premium rate go up for your age, but it also has an indexation increase as well. The difference between the two with the level premium, it still has that indexation but it doesn't have that age-based increase every single year. So it starts out a bit higher um, and the break-even point from a pure cost perspective is about seven years. And then to make sure that you've spent the same in both scenarios, it takes you about 13 years. And if you're going to have that policy in place any longer than 13 years, typically you would love me. Now, there's some pros and cons to it. Um, And one of the big cons is that it relies on the insurance companies doing the right thing as well. Now, and what I mean by that is it means it relies on them putting their premiums up at standard intervals. <laughs> um, right. So standard intervals for the insurance companies is probably once every three to five years putting their entire premium book up. Now, you might see it with your health insurance, they're small increases, mm. three or four percent each year. But they're regulated so, too. They're legislated they those health if I'm honest. They are. Now, the other thing with what we've seen, particularly in the income protection, which was one of those ones that would have been beneficial to do, typically when we have a long period of time, 
Some of the percentage increases last year alone were over 130% in premiums at the base level. So, so that's not the stepped. That's, no. Oh, that's wow. Both. So maybe both. I... Oh wow, God! <laughs> so we're actually we're actually unraveling a lot of the things that we've done previously to not be locked in these higher contracts that are with level print because we know what's going to happen. And there's been so much change, particularly to income protection, and um, they've closed off products as of the first of October last year. And anyone in these old products are really in a situation where it's a ticking time bomb and it's going to happen that these books are going to be priced to the point where they want you to move and they're going to force you out of the old products into the ones that are more favourable for the insurance company. <laughs> so it's it's trying to have the – I spend my days looking at ways to work out how can we offset what the insurance companies are trying to do and give you the power. And one of the things was the level premiums because it worked, does it still – serve its purpose and I think no in a lot of these things but I think it's again looking at it and working through together and also being flexible enough to say hey Veronica I'd spoken about level premiums before but this has happened and mm. we're not going to do we, we need to stop doing that now because of this that's happening and blah blah because we just don't know what the future looks like and um, I think that's again it's hard to sort of advocate for something that you do as a profession but it's like anything having somebody that thinks about it for you is in it every day, but it's just having someone think about it from a perspective of what is the best thing for the people that I look after. Um, and I'm not an insurance company. I work in a strange spot between the insurance company and, and you, um, but my job and my responsibility is you. <laughs> so um, it's an interesting spot, but I think I've always taken that pers perspective of what would I do if it was my policy and then do that at mass. And that's kind of how I've approached it. I think the thing that I've really picked up out of that, Craig, is this is definitely not a set and forget strategy. It, <laughs> it, whereas in the past, it kind of might have been a little bit to a degree. Um, yeah. But what I'm hearing there is that even you as an advisor who spends all day, every day, knee deep in this, understanding and so forth, what you have recommended one year could be very different to what's appropriate in another year. So you actually need to keep on top of this and be reasonably interactive with your advisor to make sure that there hasn't been policy changes that would negatively affect you. And if there is a change that needs to be made, then you've, you've got that communication channel going on a regular enough basis to be able to say, all right, that worked, had something happened to me back then under that policy, but now the policy changes have been such that I need to get into a different space. And it's not always just as easy as saying, okay, well, let's just move to a different insurer or whatever the case may be, because depending on whether you're paying it out of your super or you know, how you're doing it, that can have an impact. But you know, even me in a position of being a, a, an advisor and being a person who is very open to, to being given advice many years ago, I went to increase my life insurance when I had children and made a terrible mistake because I didn't know enough about the policies of that organisation to know that there would be certain health checks and blood tests and you know, yep. all this sort of assessment was going to go on if I went over a certain level, whereas the advisor said to me, no, if we go to this level, there's no, there's yep. no assessments, but the moment yep. you go to that level, there is. So there's just so much intricate information underneath the surface that you, you can't possibly understand unless you really you know, know the policies and the different insurers and, and the yep. way that things are changing. So I think that I really picked that up at your last point, I think that's an absolute golden nugget is things change and you, you can't just 
say, right, I've done it, that's it. I don't have to think about it again. Well, and I think the thing that most people say, and, and I think it's one of the most common things that I, it's that do you have insurance? And the answer, oh, yeah, I've got that. I've got that through my super. And um, the basic amount of cover that you'll typically get is pretty pretty low, pretty standard. And the other thing with that too is that a few years ago now, the rules were changed that you can purchase any insurance policy in the market and pay for it from your existing super fund. So not only can you still pay for it from the super fund that you want to stay with, you can have the best policy for you in the whole market and still pay for it from there. So mm. gone, are the, gone are the days. It used again, to be like, just theirs, wasn't it? It was it their was, choice, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. So you had to have it with them. And, and what we find is that one of the industry funds, which is a great super fund, was one of the same the the providers that put their premiums up by one hundred and thirty percent on the income protection side of things. So, um, I'm not, and I'm not knocking them at all because there was other retail pr- platforms that did the same thing. But mm. all I'm saying is that it's not the only option. And if mm-hmm. people are thinking that that's where they have to be, I've got my super with Australian Super or um, Host Plus that I have to have my insurance with them and I just have to be dictated to by what the insurance companies tell me and what the pricing is going to be and that's all I've got to do. It's absolutely not the case. Not saying you have to move your super fund. Keep it where you want it to be if that's right for you, but you do have some choice and I just like that flexibility. Whatever I do, I just like to know that I hate being taken advantage of. I hate being backed into a corner where I'm, Mm. you know, the, the person that you don't feel like you have any options and i think that's one of the things that we do have is so much choice now and um knowing that you even have that choice is probably the first thing a bit like that oh you mean that lmi is for the bank it's the same sort of thing you you mean i can do this you're like yeah no 100 percent. yep yep there's so much in here veronica i mean craig you 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 know we love talking to you so passionate about what you do and of course that fits with us really well because our passion is in property but we love bringing people onto the onto the podcast who are experts in their fields. And we talk about, you know, staying in your lane when you're an expert. Not only are providing advice, not, you know, you've been really careful about what's inside your lane and what's outside your lane, and, and that's what we really like. Um, I, I was just, you know, through that whole conversation, the thing that kept popping into my mind is there's a saying in business, and that is um, when it comes to training your staff, cost money to train staff and so forth and, and there's a saying you know what if I what if I train these people if I pay for their training and they leave and I'm pretty <laughs> on the flip side of that what if you don't train them and they and stay, they stay. <laughs> now what what listening to you what I come away from this is what if I pay for all of this insurance and I never need it I've wasted so much money but mm. oh my god what if you don't have it and you do need it yeah. yeah, and I think even to add to that point, it's what if you spend all that money and it doesn't do what you think it did, you know? Like, mm-hmm. and if you couldn't, <laughs> well, you, yeah, could, you know what I mean? And, but, but do you know what I mean? Like you, even you, worse. That's yeah. the, I yeah. think that's the most it's frustrating the part because yeah. not only have you, you thought you did the right thing and you thought you were being conscientious and doing all these different things and then we get to the stage of actually needed it and they're like, oh, because you didn't say yes on the third Thursday of, the, you know, like you didn't tell yeah. us about the porridge that you ate that was cold, you know, back. and everyone's got these things in their head that the insurance companies will never pay. And one thing I'd love to dispel about that is irrespective of which channel you go through in Australia, we're very fortunate. Over 92% of all claims that are submitted are paid. So wow. the, okay. it's a lot. And that's okay. if it's direct with the, insur- the super fund, the, even the crappy policies that you find on TV. But we've got a very good... <laughs> we've we've got all a very- seen a lot of those in our time at home, haven't we? 
But we've got a very we've got a very good system um, overall, and it's generally from your travel insurances or those sorts of ones that will have these horror stories in our head that people mm. don't get paid. So mm. I don't want to be this fear monger that's like, oh, this industry is horrible. If you're not in the right place, you're not going to get paid. But I also think that if you have spent all that money, you thought you were covered, you'd want to know that it's going to do what you expected it to do. Absolutely. Craig, can you give us a case study? Give us an example of someone who is younger you know, that our, our audience can relate to that has benefited from actually having the right cover in place? I've got two that happened during COVID. Um, well, I more than two. The two I'll give you as examples. So <laughs> yeah. one of them was a was a, running his own business, very successful, um, sold their business. Um, I'd peppered them to do the insurance and it was a begrudging buy. They were super busy at the time. I showed up at their office multiple times. It was near my house. I'd swing there. We'd grab, we were friends, but like I was becoming a bit of a pest. <laughs> um, finally, he did it all. And years later, they'd signed as an employee. Um, the income had caught, it was earning a quarter of what they were at the time and um, had an incident which led them to not be able to work anymore. And because we'd pushed it, set it up in the way that was right for them, they were, they were paid on the income they previously earned. So four times what they were earning at the time wow. of claim based on the way that we'd set that up for them. And it was twofold. One, because of the structure and the way that we'd set it up, they had that right level of coverage, which was more relevant to what they spent and become accustomed to. It was an interim thing that they'd changed yeah. industries and um, gone back to do that was only going to be temporary. Mm. But also the fact that we peppered them to get it done in, in a polite way. Like I, I asked for permission up front. I'm a pest. Um, I've been doing insurance for a long time and it is something that you need someone to generally give you a bit of a nudge to do. There's not a settlement date. Not something not like a- you get up in the morning and you go, yes, I'm going to go and get that insurance today. And spend money on something I never, I don't. <laughs> I may on never use, yeah. <laughs> but I think the thing with that was too, it's like if you give me that permission to check it back in, follow up and get it done, it's on my radar. Um, and fortunately we did that then. Um, another one, I was referred a client from a mortgage broker. Um, part of the thing that we do up front is spend a lot of time understanding health history, Megan, like you mentioned, because there is a big element of that to it, particularly if you've got existing policies. Mm. And before we even did the work, these guys had existing coverage and based on the stuff that they told me, I'm like, wait a second, (laughs) tell me a bit more about that. And we delved a little bit deeper and six years ago they had an incident they should have claimed on their policy for. We went back and we retrospectively claimed on that policy and got a payment of about half a million bucks that they hadn't even known about. Um, wow. So that was before we'd even worked together. So um, I got a beautiful bottle of champagne, which we enjoyed what? on New Year's Eve. <laughs> I'd want um, a vintage for that one. <laughs> but it was it, And their more first born named after you. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that, that obviously everyone wants to be called Craig. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but, um, all, all I'm saying is I think when you're looking at that perspective, I, I, I think understanding what to ask, even looking at what you've got in place at the moment, is there an opportunity there? It's more than just trying to find that right opportunity um, when it comes to it. Um, but it's also, I think, one of the big things, we get a lot of stuff from the videos that we do online, so we get people calling through. And I'm very open by saying that I'm not really the best place for lots of people to go. So by removing that friction of that first call, it's like you're not going to be sold into, hey, you have to come and see me. No, you'd be much better off just going to use Life Broker, mm-hmm. take the numbers that are on my calculator, plug it into that thing, do it, and make sure it gets sorted. So I think one thing that I'm most proud of is that 
most of the people that we speak to will get some form of cover. They won't get, they're not going to go and get policies they won't be able to use, but not everyone's going to come through me and they're pretty good options at the moment where you can do it yourself with a little bit of direction. Way to go. Well, on that note, we want to thank you so much for your time, Craig. But before you go, there's a question that we ask every guest, and that is, is there something that you know now that you wish you had known as a first home buyer? (laughs) I haven't done that yet. Um, (laughs) I I think it's, um, I I think sequencing is probably the the biggest thing. It's like knowing what needs to happen when, and also giving yourself permission to put things in order and not have to do it all at once. So um, like I said, you know, like get the house settled because you don't need the insurance to settle the house. Um, do you need the will or the insurance? Probably get the insurance and then the will, but sequencing things out like that, I think it'll really help you to actually get all of them done. If you try and do all five things at once, you'll probably fail at five. <laughs> um, but if you try and do one at a time, you'll get them all done eventually. It sounds oh, like our approach to actually buying like- property, <laughs> which is get it in the right Go order. In the right order. Yeah. Don't do yeah. step seven, two, three, and six. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so, so much, Craig. Really Pleasure. appreciate that. Um, and we will put a link. Oh, you've got a special link for us, don't you? Yeah, I'll send that through, uh, craigbigelow.com.au forward slash HBA. Um, and I've just put there a couple of handy tools. So I've got a guide that's the 29 most common mistakes that people make with insurance. And it's 14 pages that people can download there. And there's also the calculator that I've built that you can plug in all your details and it'll send you how much insurance you should have for the different four types. Um, and there's a, a, if you want to have a chat with me, there's a link there to book in a time as well. Brilliant. That's Thank brilliant. you. Thanks, Craig. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.